Manchester United don't just look like a bad team. They don't just play like a bad team. They are a bad team. And in fairness, that's probably unfair to all the bad teams on the planet. In truth, Manchester United are far worse than that. They are atrocious. Rock bottom after two games based on the simple fact that they are without a doubt the worst set of players in the Premier League. Spoiled, lazy, self-centred millionaires who individually believe someone else is the problem. Next up for United, Liverpool on Monday Night Football. That should be fun. Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show with myself, Roy Shanahan, David Buggle, Neil Dobbs from TheBigKickoff.com and it was a hugely entertaining Premier League weekend. Well, it depends what side of the fence you're sitting on. If you had Gabriel Jesus in your fancy football team, you might be a very happy manager indeed. Conte and Tuchel spice things up and we love them for it. And while Manchester United may be the laughing stock of Europe, amazingly Liverpool are only two points ahead of them. Dave, Chelsea and Chelsea and Spurs, 80 minutes gone, 2-1 up, Chelsea absolutely battering them. How did Spurs get something out of this game? Yeah, I suppose that's the biggest thing. I get, like I, I've seen a bit on Twitter where there's a few Spurs fans not in the least bit happy about how poor they were, but you know, their record is one win in 30, in the 30 years in the Premier League in Stamford Bridge, so to somehow pull a, a draw out of it is, is the best way to look at it for them on a positive note. Um, I know it was mentioned about Sander, which I have mentioned before on one or two occasions, especially in the League Cup final when he was crying afterwards, as, as I said as I said that day, it was because of the fact that he was anonymous in his, his own performance. So it's an interesting take to see, is he not necessarily a big game player? But um, look, at the end of the day, the last 10 or 15 minutes was what made it interesting. It was a typical two decent sides kind of notifying each other, while Chelsea were a slightly better side. Because of what happened in the last 10 or 15 minutes is the reason why it got spiced up as this excellent game. But there was a lot of it that drifted by for me, I'll be honest with you. If I was Spurs, take the draw, the fact that the, the way the game played out. But uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's it in a nutshell for me. It wasn't the greatest game of all time, but certainly the dramatic one, that's for sure. Neil, when you look at Son, you think that he is not in the top bracket now for you for a certain reason. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have been saying just for that game, to be fair to him. Even last season, I think he went missing before Christmas, but then he had a really, really strong finish to the season. The partnership of him and Harry Kane, obviously due to more Kane having issues with will he stay, will he go, and then kind of taking a while to get going. So the partnership wasn't as good. There's no doubt on their day, they're a really, really fruitful partnership. But the big games, I very rarely come off. Go, you know, and I'm talking again. You know, your Liverpool's, your Manchester Cities. You very rarely come away from it going. Son was the absolute number one guy in the park. So I did watch with interest in the weekend, and I just thought every single time a ball was played into him, he either overran it, he got crowded. There was nothing from him. And if I mirror that with Richarlison in particular, he was on the field literally two and a half minutes. He made several runs in behind the defence. He isolated Thiago Silva and tried to get a little bit of change out of him. And he just made a nuisance of himself just by, you know, energy, running, making clever uh, runs in behind the defenders. And Son did none of that. And he should be the guy that, you know, is leading it as much as Harry Kane does. He should be the guy to strike and fear into defences. And he has previous on this. And, you know, one game springs to mind last year, he played Man City. And Kyle Walker just did him for pace. And the minute he did that, he had Son in his back pocket. So it's just what, in my opinion, eliminates him from being in the very, very top bracket. Not saying you wouldn't like him in your team or that he isn't an excellent player. But when you compare him to the, the, the top class wingers, they never go missing in the big games. They're always there, thereabouts. Did Mo Salah not go missing today? No. No? I think he was okay. I think he'd shot. I think he shot. I think he did okay in the middle. I think he was okay today, yeah. Did Erling Haaland not go missing at the weekend? Yeah, but he'd one great assist. <laughs> <laughs> I think my point is, I think you're being very harsh on him. I think he's uh, he can't produce all the time. Spurs are normally a slow starter. Harry Kane is a slow starter in August for the last three or four years and still comes leaping back with goals. Son, top goal scorer last year and has had a, a bundle of goals. Is Neil, is that not why Richarlison's brought in, Perisic is brought in 
to just keep these on their toes and and when things aren't going right and when the players such as Kane and, and Son aren't firing and all cylinders that they actually have that backup to uh, turn draws into wins or defeats into draws. Yeah, 100%. I mean, let's be honest, they're too reliant on Harry Kane slash Harry Kane's son partnership in the last two years. So they needed to bring in fresh blood. We talked about Kulisewski last week and he's made a positive impact. He was kept quiet as well, to be fair, on the weekend. So they do need something. I like the way, in the, you know, when you look at Aston Villa, for example, you're sometimes not sure how they fit Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins into the same team. But you know exactly how Spurs are going to fit Harry Kane and Richarlison into the same team. Harry Kane literally just comes into the 10 and Richarlison goes up tops and starts snapping at players. So I think that's a positive move for Spurs. I definitely think they need, and, and maybe, listen, that could be part of the solution of why Chelsea dealt so comfortable when it was just the two of them on the field because they didn't really have to go worrying about the others. They could sit with three guys at one stage and Harry Kane if you watch Match of the Day highlights and then Son just got isolated and Reese James was on him every single time he got the ball. So maybe then when all of a sudden a Richarlison comes into the equation and they split the back, well Chelsea's back three at the time a little bit wider that that Spurs can get a little bit more joy out of that. Dave, Koulibaly with an unbelievable finish. Again, I thought it was very harsh on Son. They were picking on Son that as if he was the problem. But the zonal marking is it's never really 100%. And when you're doing zonal marking, you have to understand that. The way they had it set up was baffling for me. Yeah, because that's the big thing about zonal marking. Is the whole point is that you have to stay in your zone. And what can happen is you can get sucked into everyone can get sucked in into where the ball's going. If it's going into the front half of the pitch, they can all start or in the front half of the, like say the front post, they can all get in. And if the forward kind of sticks his ground, or in this case, Koulibaly stood his ground, he had all day. But fair, fair play to him. Actually, super finish for a centre-half. And he's predominantly left foot, I think, as well. It's a cracking strike. But I think that's the problem with Donald Martin for me, is you can get sucked into where you think the ball's going to go. Especially if it's coming to the front, you can have the guys in the front uh, on the back post kind of get sucked across. Or vice versa, it's going back post, everyone gets there. And then there's, there's the, the offensive side who kind of stick to their guns and uh, get their just reward. So I think that's the biggest part. I think it's more, as you said, the system than it is the player. Um, in this case, I'll, I'll, I'll give Son a bit of a, a bit of a respite for that one. Yeah. When you look at the ending, we'll talk about Chelsea now in a second, but when you looked at the Conte and Tuchel handshake at the end and the, the, the chest pumped out during the game, it's, it is something that you want to see, Dave, isn't it? You, you, you do want to see managers going head to head. You do want to see a bit of passion. You do like to see the Tuchel running by Conte and doing the fist bumps and all. Yeah. It, it just gives energy to the to the stadium even. 100% because as soon as you said it gives energy, um, do you remember the Klopp and Arteta one last year? Yeah. The famous one. As soon as that happened, Everett, Everett, Liverpool came alive and they took over the game because the crowd went nuts. And... I'm not saying that's done on purpose uh, by the lads yesterday, but it's definitely in the heat of the moment. And it's great to see, and it shows that they care. There's no denying that Conte is a loose cannon when it comes to that. But to see Tuchel get to that level as well, he really wants to put one over on Conte, being potentially ex-Chelsea, and obviously the way he goes goes about it. And obviously running down the line, and in fairness to Conte, he finally put it up. I actually didn't see him, but if I had of tripping him as he was going down the line, would have been exactly what he deserved or something along them lines because <laughs> he didn't know some running down so he put it up on Instagram with laughing faces and in fairness Tuchel uh, made a bit of a joke I think the two of them both realised it was the heat of the moment stuff but I I, I, I would be shocked if they didn't share a glass of wine or they, they will share a glass of wine before the next game for sure it was it was pure heat of the moment stuff but it's what you want to see and uh, that bit of spice that we, we, we all like to see in the game and, I've, and, as, and as the lads were talking about some of the stuff was let go and you could see elements of it again tonight so they're not going, referees aren't going to get it all right, but I, I like the, the approach that they're trying to take and let the game flow a little bit better. Yeah, um, talking about loose cannons, Darwin Nunes, we'll be talking about him a little bit later <laughs> on. Um, Chelsea, Neil, they do look good. They do look like players are going to fit into the system that they have and if they're, they're still looking to get more in. Uh, Cucurella, is he better than Chilwell? It's a lot of money. What do you see in him? Yeah, I think initially when I say what was a 60 million for him, I, I kind of scoffed at it a little bit because, you know, it's not really a household name, I guess, from last year. Very consistent performer. Maybe he's not in the shop window because you're not seeing him for one of the bigger teams. So 
maybe he goes a little bit unnoticed or what he does do really well, you don't rate as highly as other defenders. I definitely think uh, Tuchel has made a very conscious decision that he he did not fancy Chilwell. Um, he was a Lampard boy and uh, he was quite prepared to go out and change him and he's done that. So he's put his money where his mouth is, 60 million. He looked really good on the ball. He looked positive. He was obviously playing in the wing-back role, suits you where... And lovely head of hair in there. A super head of hair. The type of hair you want to grab when a corner comes in, for sure. <laughs> it's... Uh, you know, maybe he's wearing his head and shoulders. He just wanted to see how soft it was. But it was a crazy moment. But for Cucurella, his debut at home, I thought he did well. He looked content, adaptable. But I, I don't know. Is he an upgrade? We'll wait and see. Um, for me, I still think that the best uh, kind of wide player on the park, even though he was playing in the back three, was Reese James. I thought he was outstanding. But Cucurella, good start to his, to his, uh, to his Chelsea career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we will talk about Manchester United because it's their... It's very hard not to talk about Manchester United. And it's very hard to believe that they have drifted so poorly within this league. But we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that now in a minute. Dave, Liverpool played tonight. They played Crystal Palace. It's a, a one-all draw. Darwin Nunes got sent off. Uh, we'd say a moment of madness, but there was two moments of madness. Yeah, look, um, uh, we just seen the straight red. Uh, and the fact that it was a straight red, I was like, all right, it must be blatant, let's be honest, because uh, we didn't see it live. And then you see him initially throwing the secondary uh, head push, but he actually did it the first time, which caused Anderson to kind of point and give him the push and the nudge. So uh, obviously Nunes went back the second time and, and laid it on him properly this time, and Anderson went down, and rightly so, and he, he got his marching orders, and he's now out for the next three games. And what a game he could have come up against uh, to, to really kind of, Enamour himself to the fans and grab up potentially a few goals against uh, the Whitham boys in the league in Man United. But uh, that's, that's, that's what he's after missing out on now in a very silly moment. He's out for three matches. Um, listen, we don't know the guy enough. Uh, Neville tried to pretend he knows about him other than the fact that he never got sent off. But that doesn't mean he knows him at all. None of us do in that sense. Has he got this streak in him? Who's to say? I, 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 I didn't watch him enough or follow him enough to be honest. Um, I just think a lot of it's down to I think he's put himself under a hell of a lot of pressure. I think he did. A, I, he, he looks on edge a little bit. He's trying too hard. I think I noticed in pre-season. I think he's doing the same again tonight. One or two chances where to slow yourself down. There was the, the, the volley on the back post, and then the one where he kind of duffed it. Where I think it was a good tackle as well. The one that went off the post, even the one where he slipped through by Sal in the second half. Just all a bit heavy touched, and I don't think he's a blatant heavy touch type of player. I just really think he's trying a little bit too hard, and I think he's probably got himself a bit too wound up and then it doesn't take much at the moment to, to send him over the edge so if that's a streak in him um, you know obviously Klopp and the boys will try and get that out of him but um, we'll wait and see I don't know much previously but uh, yeah stupid and of course now he's he's missing out on a big game to really make a name for himself in next Monday Yeah and I I'm watching him and I'm looking at his movement and I'm looking at how he brings other people into the game. I thought he was doing well in the game and his frustrations mm. may be different to what we're seeing because he wants to get yeah. get that goal. But I thought he was doing really well and, and you know, you keep getting yourself in that position, you're going to give yourself opportunities. So I think he'll look back and this is going to be an experience that he's definitely going to learn from. Neil, Liverpool, as I said, it's it's... Two points from two games, already four points behind City. People are saying the league is over. That's how tight it does be. But it it is a surprise, isn't it? Yeah, and it's it's a shame. Well, it's a shame you're a Liverpool supporter, right? Because, you know, if you want Liverpool to come out this year and really attack the league and go one better, the situation you do not want to find yourself is again chasing down Manchester City. You just do not want it. When Liverpool were successful the last time when they won the league, they got out ahead and City had to chase them and they didn't have the fire in the belly. Liverpool did prove last year that, what was it, like 15 points or whatever it was, or 13 points at one stage, that they have the fight and the drive to drive them on. But you wanted to come out of the blocks this year, make a statement, get up at the top, maybe four to six points at this stage, grand, and now they have to settle for a whole lot less. So you're playing a catch-up. What worrying for me is now, and Dave's saying it there, like Nunes has let down the team tonight, but he's also let them down now for three games because they don't have Jota fit, they don't have Firmino fit. They're, you know, you look mm. at the sub bench tonight, it was really poor. So the knock-on effect to a moment of madness now, we're going to have to put up with it for two to three more weeks. And then, as Dave said, to, to 
the amount of pressure that's on him and that he's under and that he's performing under, when he comes back now after that rest, it will almost be kind of quadruple because he's going to have to come and justify the fact that he's back. You know, so will that bring out a different side of him again and more frustration? So the knock-on effect for Liverpool is not good. I'm looking at their bench here tonight. Naby Keita, Henderson, Simicus, and then Carvalho and the rest were young lads and Adrian. So it's a it's not a worrying time, but it's just going to be a slow start and it's now going to take a number of weeks to try chip away and get back up to where they need to be. Relegation candidates? I need something to cheer myself up. I'll say one thing, Roy. I can't remember the last time a team went down to 10 men and the opposition were playing for time and the goalkeeper got yellow card for delaying they had 73% possession. I, did Palace miss a trick tonight insofar as yeah, Liverpool so. may have been there for the taking? Or were they just way yeah, too conservative and, and set out? Zaha was up for it as well. Like, you know, he was, even though it's probably not the fair thing to be up top on his own, he seemed to have the bit between his teeth and Palace should have been kind of looking to him a bit more because once or twice he was kind of 2v1 against him. But I still think he could add the beat now if it was done right. He, he definitely seems to be up for today and he should have been said more. I think Patrick was a huge miss, a huge mismatch, Roy, against Nat Phillips tonight. And I don't think that Palace exploited that enough. And even Gomez, who was not match fit, and his second choice over Phillips, I think Vieira should have unleashed uh, Zaha on them a hell of a lot more tonight. And I'm glad he didn't, don't get me wrong. Well, I think that he was happy to take a point away. They, they will have yeah. little blocks of, you know, in the next three games, we're looking for so many points, or in the next five games, we're looking for so many points yeah. and just break it down into blocks. Liverpool would have been a game that if, if they got anything from, they'd be nearly. That's a bonus point in there, Yeah, it's a bonus point. So, oh, shit. He, probably a little bit of fear there of, of, of losing that point yeah. uh, on the counter attack. And you can see what Liverpool can do. So, but just as you said that, Neil, Phillips at the back, again, they they looked, Carragher looked at his his shape when uh, he got run by Saha at that time. But this thing of, of playing a high line, looking for, for offside, nearly up on your halfway line, I don't get it. I don't think it's the right thing to do. And when you've got someone like Virgin van Dijk, if, if he just drops back in behind... It's it's there's no problems. So why would they play like that? It it it's baffling. Yeah, I and and we're old school as well, right? When I say old school, we're old school defenders where you had your your arced back line where the full back, you know, the centre back is press is covering the full back, the other centre back is covering him and you're giving yourself enough time to win that race and it just feels alien. It's it's alien to watch. But ever since VAR has come in and Liverpool get away with a very high percentage of those type of occasions, where even tonight it still came down to inches, it, like it's not like he, and not that Zaha needs the inches to get by uh, Nat Phillips, he could actually run from a lot deeper. But Liverpool, are begin, I don't want to say they're predictable, but they will always give away three or four of these chances in every game. And they got caught out last week as well on it. So it is something that worries you when you watch. Sometimes your heart is in your mouth. It's a clear tactic that Klopp wants to instigate as a value of risk versus reward. He wants the backline pushing as high up the pitch as they can, i.e. not dropping 15, 20 uh, metres into their own half and doing that kind of arc runs where they're covering each other. He wants to press. And Fabino was the initial press tonight who lost that ball. At that point, Virgil van Dijk could have gone, uh-oh, and then dropped in. But again, as you said, he didn't. He stood his ground. Phillips has obviously been on the training ground all week and he went, I know what I'm doing here. I'm standing still. And he stood and he got caught on the hop. And it won't be the first time it happens. But if you look at last year, Liverpool maybe got away with an 80-20 and it just didn't kill them as much because they were always able to outscore the opposition. But it is something more and more managers seem to be looking at more closely. When they've time to prepare, they're going to catch Liverpool out a lot, a lot more by repeating that tactic. Yeah, certainly caught them out tonight and uh, interesting that your metric system was uh, of preference was metres. Uh, I'm still stuck with yards. I don't know uh, if we can and go uh, to, <laughs> to metres just yet. You're very European or worldwide there, Neil. Okay, uh, listen, Graham Soon has had an awkward moment at the weekend. We'll talk about that after we discuss the embarrassment that Manchester United are. Dave, when you looked at the game... <laughs> I, I, listen, I knew that it was going to be a tricky game for Manchester United because mm. all games are tricky games for Manchester United at the moment. But I wasn't ready for the the disaster that it was and 
there it, it's it's worrying for Manchester United fans because when you look yeah. at this team and I said it at the start they literally are the worst set of players in this division yeah like you get rid of what we would have called a dead wood and then you look at the team and it looks even worse and you're going, how did this happen? Did they get rid of the real deadwood? Is there a second batch of deadwood? Which there obviously is. But I was waiting for the show again afterwards, and it's like, right, what's Neville Peary today? And it's just, it's it's a boring soap opera that we're all sick of. And even I want to see a happier ending because I can't, it's just an absolute dull fest, and it's depressing me listening to it every week now. And what's your thoughts, Dave, so on like, what it is? Um, it's a culmination of everything. Let's be honest. Uh, at the moment, it's the, the the hot topic of the owners, and rightly so. You know, I completely get it. Now you get the people from outside. Oh, look at all the money that's being spent. That's their own money that they're creating. The club that is the club is creating that billion or whatever one point or whatever billion they've spent since they left. That's money that's generated by the club, not a penny been put in by the Glazers. If anything, they've taken two hundred and odd million out, and then they put the debt onto the club. So. The, the, the money taken out by them technically is up, up around the billion mark anyway. The commercial side of it, yes, they've done a good job, but at the same time, do they really give a shit about what goes on in the football field? I don't think so, because as much as uh, the, a lot of money has been spent, who's behind the wheel? And I don't mean that to have a go. <laughs> Who is behind the wheel at the boardroom level? Because the Glazers obviously quite clearly are. And who's hoodwinking them? In my opinion, I think it's the people in the middle who's hoodwinking the Glazers. The Glazers because they are, they have the spent, making money. they have spent money, Dave. So it's not as if yeah. they haven't spent money. Even in twenty-seven million. Yeah. So they, you they look at Martina is now this summer is nearly fifty million. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's not that they're not. Yeah. So it's not that they haven't spent money. Who are the people? No. Who are the people responsible? Now, all in all. It comes down to the to the Glazers anyhow because they're recruiting the people who are doing the job yeah. for them. But the it's recruitment, the, the, the recruitment has been very very poor. Uh, and how many players could you say from Manchester United that are, are actually players that you think since two thousand and thirteen that have 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 mm. done a good job? I, they actually had a a thing there the other day with Gary Neville and Those he. Two are debatable, right? He did a he did a, a a traffic light system where he had green yeah. for a success, uh, amber mm-hmm. for players who were okay, and red as a disaster. And he had Zlatan Ibrahimovic yeah. and Bruno Fernandez as green. Now I would agree with Zlatan. I would agree with Zlatan because Zlatan gave a lift to the team. He got goals yeah. and he gave a lift yeah. to the team, and they were successful that okay, year. Just as quick. Bruno Fernandes was the exact same but hasn't done anything since so I'm not sure again we'll go with his traffic lighting I think he's an amber but when you look at who he has in in red Fellaini Mata Rojo Di Maria Blint Depoy Schweinsteiger Darmian Schneiderlin Martial Boy Mkhitaryan Varane Sancho Tellez Van de Beek Van Bissaka Daniel James Dallow Sanchez, Lukaku, Linderoff, and Pogba. Uh, a bit harsh on Linderoff saying he's not. I thought he's he's decent, um, but there's there's a lot of players, isn't there? They're like I mean, there's a lot of players there who just are not at the level. Hundred percent. So who who is heavily involved in that? Is how much of an influence do the managers have, and is it just the David Brent of this world that are in the middle? doing all this playing championship manager without really thinking about the consequences. Like, it just beggars belief how little success they've had, regardless of whether it's from their, the club's own coppers or from the Glades. Like, it's just baffling um, to see where it's coming from. But at the end of the day, what can they control right this minute, right now, is what needs to be looked at. And at the moment, Ten Hag needs to be, in my opinion, potentially sacrifice the game next week, but he needs to be ruthless with one or two players next week because there's players who have not put in enough of a shift under him now, who have not put in enough of a shift under Rani, under Solskjaer, and some are even going back as far as Mourinho. And enough is enough. Marcus Rashford being one of them. Let's write it off now. It's been too many managers and too many years. And let's start being bold and go with a few of the kids and say, this is how bad it is. And 
the only other thing that can be done maybe next week, because the only thing that could really maybe embarrass the Glazers on a global level is if the, da- if the fans actually do follow up and leave. But well, I wouldn't even leave. I just wouldn't go. I think that's the only thing that could really embarrass them and put them in the headlines across the world. And maybe, just maybe, you might get a bit of a reaction because as long as the bottom line still keeps uh, uh, still keeps printing money for them, they won't give a shit. And the fact that fans are back now, they're going to be back into the revenues of the five and six hundred millions, which is up there with the big boys. So fans need to get off their arse and get out uh, when they say they're going to go out next week or not go in at all. But at the end of the day, Tenag's going to have to get 11 absolute Trojan workhorses to start putting a shift in because it, once again, they didn't put up enough of a fight. And there's a team who, like Brentford, are much more organised, but they just outworked them again. Brighton outworked them. Look at Fulham and what they did to Liverpool the week before. Outworked them. Would you have said before the season started were Fulham as, uh, as good as United? Absolutely not. But if Fulham put up that performance against United, they'd absolutely railroad like good old fashioned honest work and Ten Hag doesn't need coaching by just coming out with verse for that and he needs to find 11 players who are willing to do that and if it means sacrificing a few more def- uh, a few more defeats but to make a point to these absolute shysters who are robbing away off that club it's farcic Neil has Ten Hag helped himself with how he has set up he's had a pre-season he's surely seen like there's no reason why Manchester United shouldn't be as fit and work as hard as, say, Liverpool or Manchester City because that's the basics. If they're not good enough football-wise, that's fine. We're not seeing that. So, to some of that, I have to go on to Ten Hag. Yeah, I mean, he, he's seen enough of a pre-season now to have an idea of what he's dealing with. I mean, it's, let's be honest, right? The reason why they're not running as fast and as hard and as long as other players and other teams it's not due to lack of actual fitness in the legs. It's due to a lack of a will to run. And we've seen this, as Dave said, they're under multiple managers now. Like, I'm looking at their midfield here, and you have Fred and Eriksson, obviously, Ten Hag doesn't want to go to two blockers. He'd Rashford, Fernandes and Sancho, then Ronaldo up front. So you have five players there that you need absolute 110% commitment, running, dedication, selfishness, that all the other teams have, and I mean all the other teams have, they're honest, honest pros, and you're maybe getting a bit of work rate out with two of them, or maybe one or two of them on some days. And that's what it all comes down to, the lack of a willingness for me to put my body on the line and to go out there and absolutely go hammering tongs at it. They're professional athletes, bred and trained to run for, for 90 minutes, and Manchester United's players got railroaded within 30 minutes on the weekend, and it was just unbelievable to watch. Go, you, know, you look at Brentford's midfield, De Silva, Norgard, Jensen, and Buena in front of him and Tony absolutely made mince meat of them in the space of 35 minutes. That's the household names you're up against. Like on paper, Man United look like a team. Sancho, Rashford, Fernandez, but not one of them is putting in a shift like any of the other opposition. And that has to still come down to the manager. He's been watching them now or managers and the individuals, but he's watched them now for a number of weeks and seen what they've given him. If Dave has said there, if he felt at any stage they weren't giving him 100%, he should have been shipping them out ruthlessly with somebody else that he has in the academy. And they have this data, Neil. It's not that they don't have this data. They have this data. They can get this data in an instant. So they know how hard they're running in pre-season games and friendlies and stuff like that. So it's not going to be a surprise. And they didn't all of a sudden, just after pre-season, stop running. So... There's an onus on him. He, there needs to be a ruthlessness about it. Like uh, I said it before, Jaden Sancho, I don't see it. You look at Bruno Fernandes, not doing it. You look at, you know, as you said, Marcus Rashford, allowed to, uh, like Sancho, they're playing this 4-2-3-1, but they don't come back. So there's big gaps there all the time. So th- there has to be an onus on the managers as well. And I think that Mourinho obviously did his best to get you know the best out of them made them work as, as hard as they possibly could Solskjaer did the same but really and truly they've just got to be ruthless and, and get rid of a couple of players turn around and listen Jaden Sancho yeah no sorry I'm selling you you're gone that's it now I'm sure the club won't like it but sure rustle up a few feathers there and, and see what happens He's going to have to do something. Now, obviously, there was reports that he had them in today for an extra training session and made them all run 13K and yada, yada. Now, 
that'll either be the making or the breaking of him. He had to break the sequence of allowing them players to walk off after 90 minutes. Some of them, the, the most famous ones, not clapping their, their supporters, their, their travelling supporters, and then get on the team bus and go home and then have a whinge about it and then rinse, wash, repeat next week and do the same thing. So he has to put his foot down. This could be the week where he brings him in, shows him the steal, and in a big game, in a high-profile game against Liverpool, leave one or two of them out. But it's going to be very interesting how he reacts. Like, I mean, Roy, at the end of the day, it does sound simple rolling it off the tongue. You drop Sancho, you drop Rashford. Ronaldo is still the biggest problem here. And a big, big man has to be able to go, OK, I'm going to leave him out. He doesn't even have a replacement to play up there. Mm-hmm. And that's the worst bit. He's still relying on Ronaldo, even though he doesn't want to be there. And must be just, it must be a toxic atmosphere in that dressing room. There's something rotten to the core where you can't get professional athletes bred, born to run and play and they won't play for you over multiple managers. It's just rotten. And I, 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 this week would be interesting to see what way they come out of the last few days in order to meet Liverpool knowing what they're going into. Dave, again, with the Ten Hag thing, it's, it's a, a very important time for him as well because if he doesn't look like he's doing anything to turn it around... It could very well be him gone by the time October rolls around. Yeah, and potentially a bit harsh. He was arguably the number one choice of what was available in the summer. Um, the instant impact of a few players that a manager usually brings never happened. Is that his fault? Is that who's in the transfer deals potentially? Like obviously Martinez came in who would have been one of his top choices, but Dion obviously hasn't come in. Anthony hasn't come in and a few others. Um, obviously, Malassi has come in, I'd say he'll eventually start. But, you know, it's quite clear he tried to make a few changes at the weekend and put Ericsson into the middle of the park to try and get the football going. But as Carragher said, he's saying it's the A is not good enough and hence why once or twice there was easier options. But that's personnel that was there previously. But usually the players always get away with it, no matter what club, not just United, but players usually get away with it. And Ten Hag falls by the sword. I said it, it, the important sign in his game, is he good enough to, to, to turn it around? Because some of these players can play and have played before, but it's trying to get them to do it consistently and work hard. And that's going to be up to the manager to get that out of them. Whatever about systems is, is one way or another, but to try and get the right attitude out of guys is, is falls with him and he needs to get that fast. But it doesn't help. <laughs> it doesn't help when uh, Ajax win 6-1 yesterday. They quite clearly don't miss him. And then you kind of say to yourself, does the IXs and PSVs cloud whether they're really that good? It's a bit like Celtic and Rangers up in up in Scotland. So the fact that he's with Ajax, everyone immediately thinks always oh, academy driven, and it's all that he came in only in the last couple of years. He hasn't been there from the start, and he wasn't groomed by Ajax, mm. so he mightn't have that original Ajax mentality. So he could be just a football manager who obviously has done a fine job there, but wouldn't be born and bred Ajax. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. this whole kind of attitude um, mightn't be there that we all expected purely because he has Ajax on a CD. Yeah, so, I, I, um, yeah. I like your sneaky little dig there at Stephen Gerrard. Who? <laughs> I like your sneaky little dig there at Stephen Gerrard. Comes down from Scotland and, oh, I and, not, and not able <laughs> for it either. <laughs> no, but, but potentially. But potentially. No, but like, this is the whole point that like, when you're in teams who are winning in 95% of the season, like, how good are you, realistically? Like, Celtic and Rangers will be one and two every year, no matter who the manager is. Ajax and PSV will be one and two, no matter who the manager is. Bayern Munich will win the league every year, no matter who the manager is. You know what I mean? There's certain things that are inevitable. So, is Tan Hag that hot? I was hoping he would be, because I'm, I'm sick of the mess myself. But uh, it remains to be seen. Yeah, and uh, Roy, I wonder, Roy, I wonder if you look at Ten Hag from the weekend and the playing out from the back. Now that's something that's going to intrigue me this week. Will he try and play out from the back against Liverpool? Oh, because if he dead. does, they're going to get absolutely stuffed. Yeah, and it always reminds me. And David, David shared this with me. Remember, Brendan Rodgers went into Liverpool, and Simon Mignolet was in goal, and Sacco was on your left centre back, and Brendan Rodgers wanted him to play out the back line, and you were hiding behind the couch watching them play from the back it, your heart was in your mouth because he didn't have the personnel to do that tactic and I look at Man United now 
David De Gea is not one of them goalkeepers that's good enough for his feet for distribution. Same way as the likes of Jordan Pickford. He's not in the same ilk as an Allison or, or an Ederson. So making him play out of back number one is dangerous. Having Harry Maguire receiving the ball off him is dangerous. And then even Bruno Fernandes, Sancho, and he's going to receive that ball on the half turn. These guys are not used to that kind of uh, football. And it's massive risky. So that, for me, would be a massive one of, what, of has he learned something and can he kind of swallow his pride a little and say, okay, that one I'm going to avoid this weekend because it's going to get us into a world of hurt. Yeah, you have to question coaches who have this blind faith of having to pass yeah. a ball out from the goalkeeper 10 passes into the box to be able to tap it in the far end. It doesn't work like that. You have to play the game. You have to play uh, the opposition. And if that's uh, their high pressing, you've got to go a little bit deeper than that. You know, it just doesn't make sense to fall into the trap. It's actually brain dead is what I really think. I think if you keep doing it, it's absolute nonsense. And I hear the best of coaches talking about how you should have to do it. Stupid, absolutely stupid. And uh, we've seen that again at the weekend. Um, let's go on to, we'll talk about Aston Villa and Everton, Dave, because as you said, it's 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 easy to look good elsewhere. But Steven Gerrard got a win at the weekend against Everton. Frank Lampard is there and everyone was calling uh, a really intelligent person when he was uh, with Chelsea. And, uh, you know, he, he just slots into this job and, and they love to talk up their managers. But really and truly, when you see them with Aston Villa and Everton, there's nothing special going on there. No, um, absolutely not. Um, and Everton and some of the players that they're being linked to, and I get him sacked immediately if Harry Winks ends up in the Everton jersey. There's a reason why he's training on his own at Spurs, and if Lampard thinks he's going <laughs> to see the answer, I swear there's a reason why they're doing that. Trust the better managers in Conte. <laughs> Look, um, Villa might have might have a better season than Everton at the moment, but uh, yeah. They're obviously going to get a lot more um, leeway because of who they are and their background, but it was shut up a deal. And that's a natural thing, being, being who they are and their stature. And obviously, ex-England International is going to expect that. But at the same time, it'd be nice to see somebody call it out if Everton struggled and potentially when they struggled, that maybe he doesn't cut the mustard. It's as simple as that. Now, he's not being helped, and, uh, Dave, in all uh, fairness. There's, there's talk, no, no. talk of, you know, even Calvert-Lewin getting sold and... Uh, yeah, Gordon yeah, yeah. who's looking for Gordon Chelsea talking about 40 million bid for Gordon and they're, t- they're thinking answer. they're thinking about it as well Everton so what are they trying to do there? Like we talk about you know you, you could do the same about Everton in the last 10 years the money they've thrown for the level of the team that they are they're very close to top level spending compared to the big boys that's how, how much they've spent um uh, in the last 10 years and what have they got to show for it they should have been relegated last year they literally by the, by the skin of their teeth in the last game um, and now it, I don't get their policy this year buying it enough and then selling potentially some of their better players is it to do with the whole new stadium I have no idea um, but they need to make sure they're in the Premier League because if they end up out of the Premier League in this brand new stadium it could really put them in the shits because I always remember West Ham Sullivan came out straight away and said, if we get relegated this year, we're done for because we won't, we're screwed with moving into the new ground. Um, so I'd, I'd like to think our Everton going to be much the same. But listen, I, I, like Everton are potentially on a par with United how they run, uh, with what they, with the, how much they bought and how many, how many managers they got rid of over the last 10 years. And still, most of them do the same thing and still expect the same result. The first sign of madness and Everton are no different to United at the moment and there's no surprise that they're both down at the bottom uh, with two defeats at the minute. Now a team who weren't too dissimilar to that Neil for a long period of time were Arsenal but they've got their act together in the transfer market and in all fairness to Arteta he's bought well. Yeah and, and listen Roy we, look, everyone keeps beating the drum about recruitment and who's recruiting etc. The one thing I'll just say or just on the previous topic is that I think Gerard has had a window or two now and he has put his own print on the team with Coutinho, Camara and Carlos. So you'll judge him based on them new signings and maybe one more window. But uh, Arsenal were in the same boat, as you say, but they're after coming up trumps. I mean, you talk about shrewd signings. Gabriel Jesus, long before he scored the goals on the weekend, you were going, yes, that's the type of guy they want. Swashbuckling centre-forward, can play every game. He's built like a tank. He'll get you goals. His work ethic 
is absolutely second to none. His that attitude, Neil, is way into spot on. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, Roy. And I mean, you know, we were saying it last year, and we've given him credit getting the Ben White-Gabriel partnership at the back. Then they got the midfield partnership a little bit better with Partey getting fit and Jacka being in there. And now Odegaard has come in and he's, he's beginning to be, you know, make things happen. He might not be... I don't know, top level, maybe the jury's still out on him, but he can he can see a pass. And then you've got the youth of your Smith Rowe, your Saka, Martinelli, who is definitely a talent. And all of a sudden, Zinchenko comes in and solves your left-back problem. And Arsenal just look like a team now, and it looks like a team that makes sense. They've the balance of the attacking flow in football with that little bit of grit and little bit of bite through their two centre-backs and their two holding midfielders. And them holding midfielders can also play a bit of ball. So, it's just been a really, really good window. You can feel the positivity. But Jesus is definitely, for me, the sign of the summer at the moment as far as it just makes sense with the right money, the right move, and the right player. Like, let's contrast, Roy, Obama Yang in your dressing room and the negativity that went with it. You could put it up there with Ronaldo at the moment and then you, you ship him out. And since then, Arsenal have never looked back. And then you bring in Jesus. You've lost your most detrimental you know, player that's having the worst effect on the team, and you've brought in an absolute cracker. Like, it must be just a great feel-good factor in that dressing room right now. Yep. When you look at Manchester City, Dave, they won 4-0. It's kind of, it's a little bit boring, isn't it? It's starting to get to, like, the Barcelona days where <laughs> they used to just pass people to death. You'd bore them to death, and you go, Jesus. But their quality, and, yeah. I mean, a 4 nil win's a 4 nil win. But, is Haaland going to find something different in this league where he's not always going to get his way? There's not always going to be a high line and he's going to have to figure out different ways of getting behind, I suppose, teams that sit on their own box. Yeah. Exactly. Like at the end of the day, it's it's only the second game. He looked good in the first. He looked good in this one as well. But no matter what, he shouldn't care less. Uh, the fact that City won 4 nothing. he set up the first goal for Gundogan. Um and he'll get his chances. To be honest, yes, it will be a little bit different from and with City, it's 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 going to be tough to watch them this year because they're so good and so strong. And as we said, probably thirty of the matches they're going to win and win quite comfortably. But for Haaland, he's young and he's got somebody in in Guardiola who brings on players. Um, and my prime example would be Sterling because I would have known more about him before he left uh, Liverpool and then to see him go on to not just one or maybe two or three levels above when when, when um, Guardiola got a hold of him. If Haaland hasn't got the ego, which I'd like to think he doesn't, and is willing to have an open mind and take everything on board, he's going to bring him on another notch or two and kind of mould him into the English game because the guy knows how to put the ball in the back of the net. He has strength. He has many attributes. So I would, certainly wouldn't be worried about him. But a bit of trust in Guardiola and then just a bit of trust in himself to have a have a bit of football know-how, he, he'll be okay. Uh, with this team, he'll be okay. He'll get some easy chances to build up his confidence before he can really start to maybe put his own little twist on it. Yeah. Now, Neil, Graham Soon has had an awkward moment at the weekend. Um, it's, a, it's a man's game, seemingly. We all kind of knew what he meant, though, didn't we? Yeah, when you when you listen to Sue and his writers, a couple of ones he always brings up. The one where he met Ronnie Moran in the dressing room on his first day. <laughs> you know, uh, the time he ran out onto the field against Fenerbahce or ever at Turkey. And then he, look, he's an old-fashioned guy who believes the game should be played to a nail, gets stuck in. And the use expression, it's a man's game. Listen, uh, I, I think it's it's blown out of proportion. You know, if you're watching female football, it's a woman's game, it's a man's game. He's at a man's game. He's talking to, you know, to pundits. He, he doesn't mean any malice by it. He's just saying, yeah, I love the way they're hitting each other. There was high impacts. There was lots of, you know, frenzy stuff going on in the field. You know, it's a man's game gets stuck in. And that to me is it. Game over. I'm happy. I'm not overanalyzing it. I'm not getting precious about it. And yeah. I don't know why it, it, it soaks up column inches, but that's kind of the times, yeah, PC times we live in, I guess, yeah. at the moment. Yeah, people love to have a, a little rant and a, and a, and be upset about things. Uh, I, I, I think we all knew what he meant. He, he meant, like, yeah, it needs to be physical and it should be physical and uh, um, that's why we love football when it does get physical. So, yeah, 
feck off everyone that's the best thing to say there in that <laughs> one okay Dave the Premier League is 30 years old like the, again no football before the Premier League but we, we yeah. ha- there has been a big change with the money that's been introduced into the, the league in England uh, top moments what's, what stood out for you in the 30 years uh, for I suppose the Premier League um, is there any teams or players or what's your famous uh, memories when I started thinking about this, like one or two, and then all of a sudden you're 52, and I was like, Christ, what do you do here? Like, um, brief mention of matches the obvious Liverpool, Newcastle 4 Trees, the Arsenal Newcastle 4 All with Tioti, Lord Reston's fantastic last minute uh, volley to make it 4 All. But the top three for me, I suppose, the obvious one, uh, I, I'm not going to talk about it in case anyone wants to talk about it, but the where goal is obvious. Uh, Leicester winning the league is obvious. But for me, it's more because it was early on. And nowadays, your phone will literally buzz off the couch if something controversial happens. And you know about it instantaneously. But it wasn't until I actually watched sports night that night, that night that I realised something happened. And But you got whispers of it on the news and stuff like that. And it was the counting at Kung Fu mm-hmm. kick. And that's the main reason why. Not because of what happened, but it was the fact that you had to wait till half 10, 11 o'clock before I even heard about it and then even seen it. And I always remember it kind of infamously because there was rumours that something kicked off and whatever. And uh, Des Lynham comes on and doesn't say what happened. He just said, we're going into Palace and uh, United straight away. You're never going to see anything like this. And I was like, jeez, what's going on? So you watch the highlights and you see him stamp Southgate and you're going, I haven't seen that before. I don't know what's the big deal here. And of course, as he's walking off, he's getting sticks from the Palace fan and he obviously went too far to Palace fan and... Uh, yeah, we all know. Kent and I went over the top and went straight in with two feet, and it was just amazing. One of the most shocking team. moments, Dave, that you would you, you had ever mental. seen, wasn't it? Because, as you said, you don't get, you didn't yeah. get a whisper back then. Really, you kind of, no. if we kind of had, <laughs> might have you even got like Cantona? I heard Cantona got sent off, but you were like, all oh, right, but yeah, that yeah, be- that might have been the most you got. But yeah. to see what happened. Uh, it, it was yeah. it was just shocking. It's just shocking, um, unbelievable, uh, and again another reason incredible. why we love football. Yeah, and they, they try and talk about it afterwards, and they're dumbfounded, and we're all dumbfounded. He gets banned for the rest of the season. It was in January, so he missed the rest of the season, and then they gave him a bit extra into October of the new season. And his first game back is against Liverpool, and even that was famous because he ends up getting the equalising penalty, and he kind of does the little swirl around the ball. Stripper around the ball, and we all remember that. But I quickly looked into it today, and this is just a very short story. There's only is a two or three paragraphs, but I'll read it out very famously because it's whatever happened to the Eric Cantona Kung Fu kicker, and his name was Matthew Simmons, and he ended up in court as well. So the infamous Kung Fu kick on the fan itself, but it was only the beginning of the story. So there was further violence that was to follow at the court hearing. So during the trial in May '96, <laughs> Matthew Simmons claimed he had shouted. Oh, 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 it's an early pass for you, Mr. Cantona. (laughs) 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 So anyway, Cantona's defence denied this version of events, claiming that Simmons had actually shouted, F off back to France, you French bastard, before dubbing the Manchester United forward, a French animal, and his mother a French, let's just say a lady of the night, right? Um, So basically, long story short, he got 500 quid for abusive behaviour and received a year-long stadium fan. But after the verdict, he then launched himself over the bench at Cantonized lawyer, kicking and grabbing the prosecutor, Jeffrey no McCann. Way. It was it was McCann's last case ever before retirement. And he managed to wriggle free but looked terrified and disheveled. So he therefore got a uh, he got a he got jailed for a week for the attack and was also ordered uh to pay another five hundred pound fine as well as two hundred quid in legal costs. Jeez, that's uh, mad. So there was isn't more it? to that story. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure I'm believing the story. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, that's a bad one. Uh, one of the things that stood out for me when I was thinking about it, and it's not even a, it's not a moment, it's not a goal, it's not, you know, it was, it was when the Premier League started, and it was mainly Irish, English, Scottish players, a little tiny sprinkle of a couple of other players who were there. But I remember the Spurs team and when the, when they signed Klinsman 
and I was amazed that Jorgen Klinsmann was because everyone everyone was playing in Italy at the time Italy was this huge yeah. league there all the best players go there and you know they, they were Champions League winners and all. and then you see Klinsmann has come to sports and you're like oh my god unbelievable and then they signed Petrescu who had been brilliant in the in the World Cups he signed Popescu and it, it, even yeah. watching them I remember watching because I think our RTE used to have the games at 3 o'clock and I remember watching them against it could have been Sheffield Wednesday they were playing and Sheffield I think Wednesday they, was the first game and I think I think they ended up winning 5-3 or something like that and it's, this yeah, is the man. way it was an unbelievable game it was just attack 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 and there was goals going in at either end and I just thought this is brilliant. I love football now. This is great. <laughs> and I just thought that's th- that moment when they brought them players in, that was a change in it because yeah. then they started flooding in then after that and, and you know, obviously yeah, Canton. Brian Arnold, Roy went to Forest. I remember that. That's was a right. One yeah, that was huge. Neil, what's, what's your moments? Yeah, I had six of them written down and Dave just covered five. So... <laughs> <laughs> But uh, he, he hit the nail in the head. The biggest moment was, as in, for a game, was when Collymore scored the goal for Liverpool, Newcastle 4-3. That was just incredible Man. to watch that live. What a game. And then they repeated it. Um, but the Kevin Keegan, you know, the, I love it if we beat them. That was an number. I felt the empathy for him that time during the interview going, ah, oh, Kev, but you're not going to win it, man. And you're not going to love it. Because he was done up like a kipper, you know. And it was an Alex Ferguson masterpiece winding him up with his own mate. But uh, yeah, and other than that, I guess, feel good factor, Leicester winning the league because, you know, you're never going to see anything like that again. It's just absolutely unprecedented. So yeah, they really, like Neil, that. that team, they really got all their, their ducks in the row there. Everything, like the yeah. other teams dropped their level a bit. They ha- they happened to get in the likes of Kante and Mares and Schmeichel and they had a, a, a good solid back four and everything just sort of fitted together at yeah. the right time. It's like all the planets, the planets sum, aligned. They it all upright. They were, they were against Spurs as well. I mean, let's be honest, it wasn't even a two-horse race. No, because so they're they Spursy. They brilliant for yeah. anyone from the top six. Can we have someone from the top six? Let me see. We'll take Spursy, please. Yeah, so it all just lined up. Okay, listen, we're going to leave it there. Uh, the Premier League has, uh, yeah, it's really flourished over the 30 years and long may it continue. Um, Dave, Neil, thanks very much and for everyone listening, thank you too. Bye now.